listening to General Admission, where we bring you your front row ticket to the stories behind the sound. Hey guys, welcome to episode 16 of the podcast. God, it, it's actually been like a yeah, few months now. 16's pretty out. decent, hey? <laughs> Sweet 16. I'm Jen and I'm here with Alice yes, for another I'm week. Yeah, as usual. <laughs> and we've got a very special guest. We've got frontman for British India, Declan Melia here with us. How you going? Yeah, I'm great, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're pretty good, actually. Yeah, we're good. Been a good day. We just had some lunch. <laughs> oh. so we had some, um, some gnocchi. Some gnocchi, yeah. That sounds good. I, my lunch was really disappointing. Oh, no, did I, you have, like, um, a sandwich? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a barek. It's usually pretty good from this barek place, but it was not good. Fair enough. Oh, no. Yeah, it's always the, disappointing. Um, <laughs> this story, the moral of my story is that life is just a carousel of disappointments. No. It's, it's, it's not. That story doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end where it's kind of, you, can, you can kind of learn anything insightful. It's just I had a bad lunch, that's all. Yeah, it's always disappointing when you like buy food and it doesn't end up being as good as you hoped. Or as it um, should. And it's also, I'm only ever going to get have one. I'm only going to have had the chance to have one lunch on this the yeah. 30th of <laughs> May, uh, 2018. It's it's, it's not going to happen again ever. Yeah. So uh, it does feel like a waste of opportunity. Yeah. I do feel like Castro's Cafe at Melbourne University really dropped the ball on that one. And, oh. um, yeah, I. I I'm going to give him a nasty tweet or something. Yeah. Because oh. I, just, I feel as a, as a white male in the, in the 21st century that <laughs> if something bad happens to me, it can only be someone else's fault. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah. But, hey, at least you can make this day better by, one, yeah. being on the podcast, and, two, yeah. having a nice dinner. That's a nice, like, segue, because I was just going to keep going very <laughs> negative and be like, university food sucks. Like, <laughs> oh, Well, I had to lighten up the mood a little bit. Like... <laughs> It just it sucks. Yeah, you're not you're not rewarded for for, for kind of getting through here. You've got to you've got to take like a big block out of your study and go somewhere. Yeah, far away. And then on top yeah. of that, like um, our university has like oh, well, I don't know maybe Melbourne does as well. I've only been to one university, so I can't speak for all of them. <laughs> um, but there's like microwaves across campus. But then the microwaves, the lines for the microwaves are always so busy that it's like, what's the point of taking up taking good food to uni to like heat up? Exactly. You know. It's just disappointing. No, I, I, we don't think we have microwaves here. It's because it, it's like, you know, everyone here, uh, father, like, lets them dip into the hedge fund. So um, <laughs> there's a, there's legitimately a um, sake bar in, oh the, like, God. the union house. It's like, oh, I was wow. like, who, what student gets sake ever? Yeah, interesting. That's so true. Aside from the fact that we drunk, like, it's just, it's a quite an expensive liqueur. Mm. And it's, it's just, like, has no, I don't know, it just, just doesn't go hand in hand with study. Oh, I think I'll take a break. Nice break and have a, you know, <laughs> a, a nice, a sake. Yeah, yeah, well, I guess like bars on campus. We go to um, New South Wales, University of New South Wales, which has the roundhouse. But see, that, that, that's a decent one. The roundhouse is okay. Got, got the normal stuff, no, no sake. You'd be surprised how many people go there at 11 a.m. and buy like jugs of beer. Mm. <laughs> it's but. kind of um, the heart of, of exam revision and <laughs> um, assessment oh, yeah. time. So I don't, if, if anyone has is drinking beer at 11 o'clock here, it's... um to drown their sorrows yeah. or to sink into oblivion because uh, that essay is 100% waffle. Mm, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, what do you study at university? I guess we can maybe go into this a bit yeah. later. It's very <laughs> non-music related, um, but yeah, what are you <laughs> what are you studying? I'm in the last year of an arts degree um, that's uh, majoring in philosophy. And it's kind of interesting because when I, I, came, I first came here 
uh, nearly exactly 10 years ago. But um, this was when the band was really starting to take off. And then I suddenly, like, didn't, it's not really that I didn't have the time to do university and the band at the same time. I just didn't, I just felt that for British Indian to kind of work, uh, I needed to give it 100% of my headspace all the time. Mm. So it was kind of really um, uh, to do with uh, psychological space rather than, than temporal space. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's weird that I've, I came back at the end of la- uh, came back and started last year and now I'm about to finish. So it's like my my uh, academic career has, has bookended my musical career. Mm. Oh, well, not bookended because I suppose my musical career is, is still going. Yeah, but, still um, going. Thank God. I can only talk about the past, right? So um, the, the story so far has been bookended by, by coming to university. Mm. And um, it's kind of, when I first came back, it was kind of strange because it's like, quite nostalgic like walking around so I remember I used to um I suppose in a very romantic way like being about 19 I would um forsake my studies um to go up and, and read the Bob Dylan books in the library because it was just my obsession nice. and uh, I think that's kind of indicative of where my head was at as, as the band was kind of uh, getting busier and busier mm. do you ever have like classes with people who like your music <laughs> like is that <laughs> have you ever had that occurrence like yeah, that's happened twice, um, but in, both times it's happened online. Like oh. on a, on a, um, a there's like a in a group, a group an online group assignment we do. I would, I was doing, and um, was like kind of going back and forth with like my other group members, like discussing something, and someone just suddenly said, "Oh, you're I, I love your music. You're <laughs> if you're the Declan I'm thinking of, I really like your music." Yeah. But thank you. But um, <laughs> uh, the other time was I bumped into someone that I think I kind of knew. So, I mean, that probably doesn't count. It's not exactly like the star treatment. If, um, you know, George Clooney can't say he was recognised for being George Clooney if he bumps into his cousin at a wedding, can That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that I'm comparing myself to George Clooney, <laughs> but, like, you know, there are similarities. Yeah. We both like coffee. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I actually, it reminds me of this story. My um, my friend's brother was saying that um, one of the guys from Art versus Science is a maths teacher mm. at the moment, currently. Um, there's neither art nor science and yeah and it's funny because he was saying like I remember him like asking his like sister oh like have you heard of art versus science (laughs) and we were like yes of course we have and he's like yeah you know one of the guys from art versus science is like our maths teacher that's pretty cool but because they they were all young like no one remembered art versus science (laughs) see see, that's funny because I didn't actually remember them yeah but that's funny I have a, a very heartwarming story about art versus science because we, um, we we played in Tasmania at a festival and um, I think we'd all gone to bed really early and then the next morning we got on the plane to come back to Melbourne and we saw the guys from art versus science with all this gear, like all, all like really big bags and stuff. And I said, and we was like, oh my God, we didn't, like if you guys, we'd known you guys were playing the festival, we would have hung out and had a beer. Mm. Like, oh no, we, did, we didn't actually play in Tasmania, but we've um, been experiencing writer's block. So we all went on a three day hike so we could really get to know each other and really lock into the headspace as kind of a group formation activity. Right. And they're just coming back from this hike through Tasmania. I couldn't believe it. Like most bands fucking hate, like, hate each other. Yeah. And they're doing this uh, <laughs> epic trek. I, that was really, really warmed my heart. Mm. Yeah. That's so cool. That's funny, yeah. I guess yeah, being yeah. after like touring together for so long and making music, you'd think that everybody wants space from each other. But on the contrary, they just want to keep spending more time with each other. Depends on the company. Well, yeah, that, that, which is also very true of us. Like I mean, and, and when we're not on tour, it's, it's still I still see Man and Will kind of pretty much every Friday or Saturday night because yeah, really, all of my other friends have uh, become successful. So um, <laughs> the, only, the, only, the only other two bums I can really hang out with are the guys in the band. 
Well, it's good that yeah, you guys exactly. like still like to see each other because we were kind of talking about this before how um, like it's really cool to be able to when bands are together for so long keeping the same lineup or like still being friends with all of the band oh, members is, haven't gotten sick of each other <laughs> yeah is like quite remarkable as well which is it's like a, it's like a marriage really because i mean or like a very good marriage because you've got <laughs> so much history to draw on i mean you're, i mean if you, if you want to get meta with what constitutes a friendship i mean it's there's so much biography between us that we um you know, that we uh, there's no one you know better. So I think, and when you know someone really well, you're more you're more tolerant of their flaws, and uh, mm. it, it becomes really it's, it's been really quite harmonious. I often get asked that question, um, not just by journalists but just by people, if um if the band fights, and it, we certainly did fight. I think like when we first started, you know, mm. like maybe like four 19 year old males in the same space drinking a lot. Um, they were, we stepped on each other's toes, but I just I, you know I seem to recall like maybe even the first year we kind of worked out how to give each other space and um, how to, w- when some people maybe need, like their ego needs a bit of breathing room mm. and you just got to step back and, and let other people win when it's their time to win. And then I think once, once we kind of work that out, really there's, um, it's been pretty harmonious. I think mm. we're very lucky. Maybe we were raised well. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. And I guess it also feeds into like, you know, your studio dynamic too and finding the, the best um, method that works for you because like you hear about like bands that you know lock themselves up in one studio for 18 months and it's absolutely claustrophobic and they get mm. sick of each other um but yeah it's good that you've been able to find you know a really fluid dynamic in the studio where maybe you don't, ne- you don't necessarily lock yourself down like for months or like a year and, and then when you come together it's just it's a really good vibe and mm. you feel refreshed yeah well, I mean, like the idea of locking ourselves into a room for 18 months is kind of appealing at this stage. I mean, just in as much as the creative process is so difficult and is, I think, it's, you know, it's always for us so difficult. I mean, songs so rarely come that, like so come easily. That we've got to keep experimenting with different different creative processes. Mm, so, exactly. um, I mean, it might be fun one day to make a record like that. But, yeah, as, as you said, this um, the, the Forgetting the Future record was kind of like, oh, who's around? Who has, an, who has the best idea? Who wants to sing? Who wants to play guitar? Just like... Added, we kind of just added it up over 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 a period of maybe uh, twelve months. Mm. So um, yeah, but that's not to say we won't go back to other other modes of songwriting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now you guys are on tour at the moment in support of Forgetting oh. the Future, your latest album. Um, walk me through how you know the songs have been received. You know, you know what the general vibe has been at these shows, and yeah, what's it been like? It's been good. I was still like, um, you know, I said this before, like the first tour. Um, when you kind of it's the album tour and you kind of feel like you're showcasing the album mm. and that kind of like and also the songs are quite new to you like the muscle memory and, and, and the, the voice box and everything so there's a real kind of um, there's an intensity to playing the shows it's like a showcase like they're on display and that can be good but I think the spontaneity that comes with like maybe like having having had the album out for, for eight months or nine months and um, being able to kind of just you know, maybe we'll play this one, or maybe we'll play this one. It's less of a showcase, and it's just like the songs are just part of the body of work. Mm. Um, and also, it's like, you know, you can kind of, after having been that first tour, you know what works where. I mean, kind of finessing the set list is, is really a science that I am completely obsessed with, like, um, not just for us, but with other bands as well. Um, so, yeah, kind of working all these, these little things out, I find it immense, immensely enjoyable. It's, it's so great when you get it right, you know, it's just, you just... You know that that whole that hour and a half just becomes like this transcendental. Mm. We're we're really lucky to be able to do it. I was saying before the show started how um we've got a great support band on this tour called Diet from Melbourne, and um they're pretty young guys. Maybe their first first uh, national tour, 
mm. and just starting to get a bit of uh, attention on Triple J and stuff. And they're just so excited and enthusiastic, and it's it's so infectious. You know, they literally um before every show they're going to big huddle and sing "Praise You" by Fatboy Slim. Oh, and that's it's sweet. Just, nice. It's just gorgeous. Like we've come a long, <laughs> long way together. So I mean. It's hard to be uh, cynical and kind of um, and and jaded when you when you're surrounded by that kind of enthusiasm. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the touring process and the touring ritual—it's something that we've we've been doing literally since we came of age. So I can't imagine a world without it. It's so it's so, I'm so used to it, and I really shudder and wonder to think like what how I would have turned out if I hadn't had had those opportunities, and also what, what I'll be like if and when they get taken the opportunity gets taken away from me. Mm. Um, yeah, I reckon I'll go crazy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But um, yeah, something that um you very vaguely expressed is um is the idea that you know if the next record you know isn't better than the last and you guys aren't feeling motivated, you know you might feel like you want to hang it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, that's that's on that? true. I think I mean because it, 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 it's, I, I kind of probably put that a bit in a convoluted way. If we mm. can't write a good record, we won't release a good record. I mean, well, sorry, well, sorry. If we can't write a good record. We won't release an average record. We'd rather just shelve it and not worry about it. Mm. So until we can release a good record again, if that never happens, I, like we don't want to tour without having a new record to, to promote. You know, I mean, like at least at least two or three tours. I mean, other before after that, it starts to become a nostalgia and, and just a, a bit of a parody. And mm. uh, I don't think we're you know I don't think we're ready for that right at the moment. I think yeah, I, I wouldn't like to. I don't like the idea of doing massive reunion tours or reunion shows. I, I just much sooner. Um, try and write more songs and keep adding to the the, to the British India uh, canon, and and then you know and, and showing other dimensions of ourselves rather than than rehashing old ones. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really what I meant. But um, yeah, it is. Look, I mean, shit, um, there's um, I really feel like us in our tenth, eleventh year, there's not really a lot of precedent. But what we're doing, I can't really look at other bands and say like, oh, their story is similar to ours. Mm. So I really don't know. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wary of becoming like a parody and becoming like this sad kind of, you know, uh, middle-aged old fools trying to like recapture the glory of their youth. I'm <laughs> conscious of not letting that happen. But at the same time, um, it's something we love to do. So, and it's a great opportunity. So there, there's a tension between those two headspaces. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess like if you, I guess once you get to a point where, fans have like grown up with you and you know you could kind of do one of those like not necessarily a reunion tour but I've seen like heaps of bands do shows where like they play their album like one of their older albums like back to front um I don't know I feel like I guess it yeah like you said it's sort of all unique to I guess what your experience is at the time and really like where the what where the band what the point that the band is at in your career and like wherever you guys are at and what you decide to sort of um to do yeah because if you're so far removed from let's say your debut album Mm. at this point even though like it's turned like 10 or something yeah like yeah Yeah. i wouldn't really see much point in rehashing it for the sake of nostalgia yeah is that how how you feel as well that's how we feel as well i I mean i'll I'll happily play tracks from the the first album live in the moment but i don't want it to be the centerpiece of the set list Mm -hmm. um you know it it never has been for us i mean it's always the songs, the songs where we're enthusiastic about, and, I, and honestly, I feel the audience are enthusiastic about about are the ones that have just been on the radio or that have just been released. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, it's just like I, I love this. I, you know, I mean, the thing is about this this band and, and about me talking about it is I'm so far. It's, there's a real. It's so hard to understand what it is um, from the inside looking out objectively. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I was looking at my diaries um, 
from from maybe eight years ago and us saying like, oh, well, let's put this album out and see if it's still. If, I'd love to be doing this in a year, but if it goes away, it goes away. Let's let's put this album out and see what happens. Mm. And I still and like, here we are eight years later talking about you know or maybe you know maybe it's going to come to an end soon. So it's like I don't. I mean, there's there's nothing to make me expect that British India will keep keep perpetuating itself and keeping a source of income and keeping a source of creative mm. um, nourishment. But uh, then it's it's <laughs> I mean. And demonstrably, it's just kept going. Let's 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 serve us pretty well so far. So I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like stepping into the great unknown because, as I said, I don't like you know. I mean, a lot, most of the bands that we started with have have all finished, um, and and some of the bands that started five years after us have finished. So yeah. the idea of a band like us, who's never really had a massive hit or anything, like you've just kind of been kind of underground, kind of like um, kind of on the periphery of, of commercial and 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 punk. But um, you know, never really particularly cool, and never had a particularly big hit. There's no real um, precedent for, for what it's like for the, that band going into the, into the second decade. I just I just don't know what it's going to be like. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll just spin it like a top and see where it goes. I suppose. Because yeah. uh, what else can we do? Well, I guess yeah. that's like the beauty of it as well, in a way, because there's there's not necessarily any like expectations placed on your band. You can kind of do whatever you mm. would like to do with your music and I guess create what, what you want to make. And after being a band for so long and releasing music for so long, um, it gives you that opportunity to sort of change your writing process or creatively experiment with different sounds and without any real like direct um, pressure, I guess. Because I think yeah. you see a lot of bands who um, have extremely successful albums, but then the follow-up to that is not necessarily as good because they felt that pressure to like redo what they did beforehand. So yeah. I guess it's like a blessing in a way too, because it obviously is really great to have a huge, you know, best selling yeah. album. But then it also is really nice to just have that consistent, I guess, trajectory where you're able to really do whatever you want without anyone, I guess, pressuring you um, to create. I, I couldn't yeah. say that better myself. Mm. That, that I really feel that. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, a hit is a bookmark in your career, and um, anything you do after that will be defined by by that by that bookmark. I mean, well, certainly, we've had songs that are more popular than others, like um, "I Can Make You Love Me" and "I Said I'm Sorry," and there's songs that you know. But, but you know, honestly, I feel like um, what I'm most proud of is that we can get up on stage and play like a uh, an album track from Thieves, a release an album we put out eight years ago, and there'll be like a couple of people, maybe you know, 50 people in the audience who will just like vibe out on on, on that choice. And if we chose another song, there'd be another 50 people. That's the thing I'm really, I'm really proud of. Whereas you know, whereas like it's not, it's not just like our, tour, our, our shows don't have to be a, a, a greatest hits package so, uh, so much. We can kind of be more flexible with that. I don't know why I just said that. I was completely off the question. Oh um, no, that's I, fine. I, no, <laughs> we love tangents here. Don't worry. But um, no, it'd be pretty gr- pretty great if you just like named a record greatest hits, like <laughs> like n- like just with a disclaimer, like you guys don't know any greatest hits. Like you think Zach Wild, um, he did the same <laughs> thing with Grimmest Hits, even though. They don't have any hits either. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should, that's, I think that's a good idea. Um, we were going to call our next tour Ameri- Australia's Least Wanted, <laughs> <laughs> think, uh, but that's probably a little self-effacing. But um, you know, better to be self-effacing and proven wrong than uh, than uh, boisterous and boastful and proven proven wrong. Yeah. Well, exactly. I guess it's like a very fundamental aspect of Australian culture. We're not um, generally, at least, like Australians are not ones to really like talk themselves up but quite self-deprecating yeah very self-deprecating culture and i think that people well, i guess from my perspective australians don't 
like we don't like it when other people talk themselves up and like it's like tall poppy syndrome <laughs> but um yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I i i suppose you see that I, I i there's a lot of um that manifests in certain ways that i don't really like like for example like um as you guys know, I mean, this is like the, the way Australia treats intellectuals. It's yeah. like, or oh, well, not intellectuals, but just if anyone tries to kind of put um, nouns or complexity into any conversation, um, they just say, oh, wanker, wanker. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like just dismiss. And I think, you know, that's, that's a real, that's that's when that becomes a real problem. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird environment to release music. I would say, I think I was saying like, in, a, in Australia, maybe more than anywhere, I don't know more. I don't, can't say that with any authority, but it's it's really weird how um, through through the the prism of sport and to a lesser extent music, people are willing to talk about complex things like mm. um like and I'll give you examples like the Sticky Fingers yeah. controversy that's yeah. kind of going on. We were actually and, just um, talking about that Camp before Hope, talking yeah. about um, festival bills and stuff. Mm. I don't I don't remember any of these things being discussed ten years ago. It's it's uh. It's a really refreshing scene at the moment. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I guess that maybe increasingly as like social media becomes more of a prominent way for artists to like market themselves and communicate with the audience, it also gives like fans or like just general listeners that platform as well to comment on those yeah. issues. And I think that that's probably why too. I guess that whole thing with like Sticky Fingers, Camp Cope, like we were just actually looking at a couple of um, <laughs> Camp Cope's like tweets and stuff and how vocal they are about all these issues. And um, I guess maybe like 10 years ago that wouldn't have happened because these artists and like these listeners didn't have that direct platform to directly communicate. And like in yeah. a way, like yeah. Twitter is like the news. <laughs> like you it open really Twitter in the morning. It's so immediate. <laughs> Like, I open yeah. my Twitter app in the morning and it's like I'm reading the newspaper in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's in, like, bite sizes, which is what yeah. people, like, digest nowadays. But yeah, I agree. I think that the dynamic of the, like, well, at least the landscape of the music industry has definitely changed a lot and people are, um, I guess, held to a bit more of an accountability. And I guess lots of other bands, too, have kind of been held to that standard as well, like mm. brand new and like it's <laughs> all of those punk bands. That... It's funny because I feel like there's like a push and pull effect because it's made people more like visible mm. and accountable more respect. But at the same time, because a lot of people are hiding behind a screen mm. and a lot of people are anonymous as well, it does also remove some accountability. So it's this yeah. interesting kind of dynamic. I think what's, what's, what's what I found interesting about this is it's, it's maybe – it's. I mean, I think like the Me Too movement and, and things like that. I can. I kind of see that as like, like feminism actually making good on what it said. Like the like you know everyone's like up in second wave feminism. You know most men or most men or most people were like, okay, yeah, I, I, all of these arguments make sense. Let let's go with this. Mm. But only now, 30, 40 years later, they're actually like, well, they're actually making good on the promise of 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 of, sex, of equality between the, the genders. Mm. And it's shocking to a lot of people, you know. I mean, people are really like, "Oh fuck, this is what equality actually looks like." Yeah. You know, it, it looks like it looks like men will have to come down, or men will have to be held accountable, etc. Maybe that's surprising, or it's certainly interesting. But I think what's really surprised me is that it's happened in this country because I I, I, I can see it, like as you mentioned, brand new, and a lot of other like um, bands making more political records than ever. This is the new Park Course records really political, for example. And I mean, you can't go on Pitchfork without. You know, about reading uh, every every song is is addressing the Trump era in some way. Mm-hmm. But I'm surprised it's, it's trickled down to here because I didn't. You know, I, I'm quite proud that it has because I just didn't think Australia could be bothered with that that with politics in in that way. But mm-hmm. I suppose we have to 
preface everything we're saying that like we're not really talking about. It's not like you open the Herald Sun and there's there's articles yeah. about Camp COVID. Is it? It's, it's it still is just like a handful of blogs and, and a handful of people, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess also too, like with social media, given the like large scope of that, you know, even we're just more involved in just general global issues. Like I was listening to a podcast. Oh. Um, I think that was based in New York and they were talking about Kemp Cope and like the yeah. reaction that Kemp Cope kind of, or like, I guess the discussion that they started um, in Australia, which is quite interesting because then you can see that um, spread of like national news becomes global news. And even like all the stuff in America, like all the Trump stuff, we get that here as well. Yeah, and like, it all people, feeds like into each other. Yeah. And then also the fact that, you know, you found it on a podcast, which mm. is the medium that people are like, you know, yeah, gravitating towards. So- like it's good it's, ca- it's, it's amplifying uh, issues I think, I think what's new is that it's now a two-way conversation yeah. i mean i can imagine like um australian blogs covering um political intrigue in in, in through the prism of music mm. on, on an australian blog but not the other way around and uh, i think that's that's what makes you know that what makes it an exciting time to be making music yeah yeah definitely our our first segment of um this podcast which i guess kind of segues because we have been talking about all these like influential artists like camp cope and people that are guess making change in the australian music landscape Mm. um so we talk about in our first segment is what our what's on our playlist segment so basically we each talk about two tracks that we've been really liking this week and why we like them and just yeah why they've been on our playlist and kind of just like a mini recommendation playlist like little segment we've gotten so much good, good music from the other side of come on yeah so, so it's we usually like let our guest go first so if you've got a track that you want to talk about Declan you're welcome to go first or if you want a little bit of time to think <laughs> about it we can go first it's highly up to you no, no, I'll just I'll just I'll just rehash a conversation I've re- we've already had earlier but um I in Augie March uh, a Melbourne band uh, never a band I paid too much attention to but um, my friend Alex Gow kind of it played on the new record a little bit. So um, that got me, you know, I had to listen to it to say, I'll tell him good job or whatever. <laughs> I like, put it in slide. But so I listened to the new Augie March record, which just seemed to slip out for no attention whatsoever. I saw a few street posters, but, you know, no, nothing in magazine. I mean, it was no radio coverage or anything. Anyway, their new record is really, really good. And as I said before, it's like that scene in The Simpsons whereby a boot, like uh, Skinner says he's going to write um, a book about a futuristic, sorry, a futuristic amusement park called um, Johnny and the Clonosaurus. Mm. And Apu says, first you think of a name, sorry, you think of a concept that's already been done, then you give it a name that no one could possibly like. So they've gone and called their record Bootykins. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this on, um, in the interview the most, that we did. Maybe the worst record <laughs> name ever. But um, there's this song on um, there's this song on there called, the title track Bootykins is like this kind of um, like Genesis-esque kind of um, mini opera with all these different strange structures and then the lyrics seem to be like taken from Greek and Roman poetry and I just I have no idea what it's getting at or, or, <laughs> or the strange configurations of culture that just kind of reminds you um what music can do and the answer is obviously anything mm-hmm. um i spoke to glenn richards about it i, I got I, I saw them on sunday night and he said he he was reading um a biography of caligula and um he wrote you know he kind of wrote the, the, the lyrics um from his perspective but i mean the sound of the song i mean it's like lyrics are lyrics on poetry that you they can't be disconnected from the song the sound of the song is like this kind of it's, it's very australian and very 
I mean, kind of folky. So to hmm. have this strange mix of cultures is, is really bizarre to me and really intriguing and honest and quite inspiring. You know, I mean, those guys have been doing it for 20 years. So, um, I mean, obviously working in a very different uh, genre to us. But, um, yeah, try and um, give this, this new Augie March record, Bootykins, is, is well worth your listeners' time. Hmm. That yeah. sounds, yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, because we were literally talking about it um, when we chatted a couple of weeks ago. Did you ask um, um, Glenn what Bootykins actually is? Like whether it's like a god or... Um, he said the song is really violent and he wanted to offset that violence with the least violent sounding word he could. <laughs> and I just, I just think, I mean, I mean, it's just so funny because I was just saying earlier, like, I mean, intellectual pursuits and culture and stuff in Australia, I was just like, wanker, wanker. But then, I mean, it's probably, you can, you can, it's this, the sad, um, conclusion of the story is that the album hasn't made you know I, I don't think they'll mind me saying hasn't made much of much of a splash mm. but um i don't know i guess it's 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 great that we have this kind of music in australia and it's it's just great to think that you scratch you can scratch under the surface and find you know potentially a favorite album of the year mm. um so yeah i mean it's just it's just music just being endlessly richly rewarding um is kind of is kind of what i'm getting at with, yeah. with my admiration for that song awesome mm. Well, we're playing a snippet of it on the podcast. Yeah. So. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I guess talking about maybe like albums that have sort of flown under the radar, um, I've been listening to um, a band called Now Now um, who kind of did the same thing. They released an album in 2011, which was quite popular and really big, but then for these like seven years, they were kind of very quiet and they mm. didn't release any music. And um, they did lose one of their guitarists as well, so now they're just a duo. Um, but they released an album called Saved last week, which I've been like listening to on repeat. It's kind of one of those albums that I sort of just picked up because I saw people, this is nothing, I saw people on Twitter talking about it. <laughs> so I decided to give it a listen and I think it's probably become like one of my favorite albums of the year so far. Um, and there's a track on there called Yours. <laughs> was released before the album came out and the music video is just very like aesthetically pleasing with lots of different lights and projections and it's just something about it it's like a very simple song but very melodic and yeah I just I really like it how, <laughs> really how would you describe the genre um I'd say so it's like rock like kind of like electronic rock um I guess like it's got that fundamental um rock element like alternative maybe like indie rock but then um there is like kind of electronic drums incorporated into it and maybe like a little bit of synth as well mm. but then the majority of the instruments are like there is a, a fit like a real drum kit i guess if you want to call it real a real drum kit in there as well as like guitars and bass and stuff but yeah it is sort sounds of combined yeah, it sounds like a great track. Yeah, what about you, Jen? What do you um, So this um, artist certainly, unfortunately, hasn't been flying under the radar because <laughs> she's been really popular, especially in like the past few months. But um, have you heard of a UK artist called Jade Bird? No. Um, but she's a fantastic um, just vocalist. Like she's got probably one of the most one of the clearest voices I've ever heard. Um, it's like an angel, um, and she released um, a single called Furious. Um, it's just it's such a like a stripped back 
um, acoustic tune and her voice just like really comes to the fore. And it's just, it's so incredible the amount of emotion and different inflections she can give to one word when she sings repeatedly throughout like the chorus. Like it's just, it's incredible when like, yeah, singers can move you, move you like that, yeah. not saying much. Yeah. So yeah. Check that one out. Yeah. What about you, Declan? Okay. Another another track for us. What have you got? <laughs> um, I've been listening to over the past few years, I suppose, like um, with a, a, bit, a, a few more women fronted bands like Bully and Tide and Lion and um, oh, Tide Lion are great. And Angel also's got a band, but um, but so when um, there was a lot of talk about the 20th anniversary of Liz Fair's record exiting Guyville, mm. which was a record I was aware of but hadn't really listened to. And um, so I, I started, I gave it a chance and I just, I mean, aside from being extremely good, and I think it's only like 19 tracks, but wow. all 19 tracks are really incredible. That's an um, achievement. It's also just impressive for, for, how in, for how influential it's been. I mean, you can just, you can draw a straight line from her to, um, to all, those, all those bands I mentioned. Um, also... On, on the kind of when it went, and it went the other way to bands like uh, Alanis Morissette and stuff. Mm, so I mm. think it's def- definitely one of those bands, or, or Cheryl Crow maybe, but definitely one of those acts that kind of paved way in, in kind of relative obscurity, but really tapped into something in the zeitgeist that, were, that, that major labels were able to cash in on and, and really like make a fortune with. Mm. Like the just a, a woman singing so frankly about sex and misogyny, and um, I don't know, just it, it's um. A lot of songs about breaking up and but breaking up and feeling um, superior to, to the person you're leaving. I mean, there's a lyric on the first song, um, and I kept standing six foot one instead of five foot two, and I loved my life and I hated you. <laughs> it's one song in particular, divorce song. But if I'd known how that would sound to you, I would have stayed in. Just tells the story of a couple breaking up after a long car trip, and it's just so like the lyrics are so poignant, and um, the sound is so cool. I mean, it's like it's, there's no Courtney Barnett without this song. Um, not not to not take anything away from Courtney, but it's like she she acknowledged that too. Um, mm. uh, yeah, a divorce song would be my go-to because it kind of encapsulates everything that's great about the record and, and probably everything that's great about Liz Fair. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I, I it's 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 um. A shame to say, I hadn't. I probably, you know, I probably don't have a very mixed mixed playlist. So, um, uh, it, it's it's been a bit of a revelation to me over the last few years, anyway, to kind of to, to kind of get away from the the four white middle class dudes playing guitar, um, <laughs> and 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 um, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, guitar music. Yeah, it, it's it's a great record. If you haven't heard it, that definitely give it a chance. I think they just put out the 20th anniversary edition, oh, nice. which has all the demos as well, which got a sign, oh, and. Nice. Um, then they re-recorded on the album, and they're just it's beautifully recorded. And um, yeah, I think you know the name Exile and Guyville is talking about because she was in the Seattle scene when that was, or sorry, the Chicago scene when after grunge was taking off, mm. and like the alternative era, like Pavement and all those kind of bands. And she was just saying, you know, this is like I'm, I'm the only like it's I'm in exile here as a woman in yeah. um as, as in this really still despite everything that Kurt Cobain stood for. And um, despite everything that the alternative movement was claimed to speak for, I mean, you've got Bikini Kill and stuff, I suppose. And um, but yes, yeah, still, still so male. Mm. So um, yeah, mm. check that record out. Yeah, I guess it's really well, interesting yeah. because yeah, the even now, I guess like the pop, pop punk, I guess I don't, I don't really like that term, but like yeah. that scene, I guess, or like that rock scene, um, is still quite like male dominated in a way it's almost like all facets of the music industry to um, be honest. which is i guess interesting 
being like a woman and listening to those bands, I guess, growing up, um, it's, mm. it's interesting. I think also it's like, it's kind of, um, like listening to female artists like Liz Fair, it kind of, it's, it, it, it communicates to men what, what women have known all along that, um, uh, and sorry if that sounds, um, condescending, but like that, that, that the kind of, if, we, if you like all those movements that we mentioned and all the, dom- the male dominated music movements are only telling one side of the story. They're yeah. only telling one side of the human experience. So, um, it's, I mean, of course it's fine to listen to, listen to whatever you like, but be, I think it's good to be aware that you're, you're getting a select one point of view, no matter how, uh, liberal it claims to be. Yeah. It's still, it's still only one point of view. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Um, Who's next? I'm loving this game. <laughs> yeah, it's a great one. Um, okay, well, I'll talk um, about a band called Half Noise. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but um, Half Noise is a side project started by the drummer of Paramore, Zach Farrow. Yeah, um, Yeah, and so, I mean, like, this is, I guess, another thing um, that, like, I've listened to Paramore since I was, like, 10 years old. And it was cool to see... Um, I guess this side project kind of come to life um, with Half Noise and they've just released an EP called Flowers and there's a song on there called um, She Said. It's just like a nice kind of indie sort of track, I would say. It's quite raw and... Um, the interesting thing about Half Noise is that even though like Zach is part of Paramore, Half Noise is completely independent and like they book all their own shows themselves. They're not like represented by any management or anything like that, which I think is really, really cool given like he's too, um, like he's kind of in two fields, like this very, very two like opposite worlds. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like I read in an interview that sort of being able to like be in Paramore and being in this big kind of successful band gives him the creative freedom to do whatever he wants with Half Noise, mm. um, which I think is really cool. And the fact that he's like still making music and playing shows despite being in this like huge band that tours all the time. Mm. I just want to riff on that for a little bit. Um, like it kind of, it does tell you something about rock and roll, doesn't it? That like what other, what other um, industry or whatever notion or, or, or kind of anything you kind of, people really gravitate towards the DIY and like yeah. you know, he's in a stadium band, but he wants to book his own shows and he wants to be in a Tarago, yeah. you know, with, with in a van and tour of nights. It's like, it's, it's, I don't know what, I'm not going to go out and say what, what it's, what it says about rock and roll, but it does say something. And I think it's a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think does it's because rock like quintessentially is built on people, you know, doing things for themselves, you know, yeah. Yeah. everything starting from grassroots and, yeah. and, and not necessarily having connections going into it. Yeah. And I guess the cool yeah. thing like with half noise as well is, um, four of the members like in the touring band actually are the, uh, part of Paramore's touring band. So this is like yeah, right. bands within One bands. Happy family. Exactly. So they all <laughs> yeah. tour together and then he's got his side project and like he tours with them, but then they also tour with Paramore and um, even live, they actually play a couple half noise tracks. So That's like he awesome. steps. So you get the melding of the two worlds then on stage. Um, yeah. Great. And I just, I, I guess I was really like attracted to that because it's so cool to see, you know, this like model of friendship, like through music. And it kind of just shows you that power of, you know, making like art with your friends and like being creative with your friends is so powerful. And it's just like a really cool display um, of, I guess, like the impact of music, I guess. It sounds a bit like tacky and cheesy, but it is true. Like, I think that's why um, Half Noise is such a cool project or like mm. just 
cool band, really. Exactly. <laughs> I think awesome. Yeah. What about you, Jen? Um, Your so turn. This is actually going to seg really nicely for once into our next segment. Okay, cool, cool. Um, because it's one of your tracks, Declan. Um, this is my favorite off um, your latest record, Midnight Pony. What I love about it is because we were chatting a couple of weeks ago about how you guys like to combine, you know, that real DIY punk kind of ethic and like punk rhythms with, you know, building like complexity, like in the instruments and the lyrics. And I feel like this song is a real like it really reflects that, like those two mentalities that that are combined and what make you guys so unique because it's got like this really like, you know, like fast paced kind of rhythms, but then really you know, introspective lyrics and it's just layered with washes of sound. And for me, that's what makes it really interesting. (laughs) Well, in this next segment that um, we're about to go into, so basically all the tracks that we've just talked about, we collate into a Spotify playlist called GA Weekly. So you can check that out after this episode if you'd like to hear the rest of the songs that we've spoken about. But our second segment is our in-depth track review, which is basically where we ask our guests to pick one of their own tracks and um, talk about themselves, basically. <laughs> um, but um, talk about, you know, you can pick a track that might have like an interesting um, story, like meaning behind it, or maybe like a fun studio story or the experience of write, like the writing process, anything that kind of sticks out to you as like an interesting story to tell about one of your tracks. And we kind of just give you free reign to talk about, whatever you'd like (laughs) and don't just feel restricted to the latest album like if you've written any other songs you know with british india past that i mean we'd we'd love for you to share something around that as well um well i mean i might go back to kind of what what um what might be the best our best known song um i can make you love me kind of come to a point in the band where uh, we, we, we'd been li- all been living in the suburbs and we, we did the, all of our songwriting in Matt's garage and then there was kind of an upheaval just in our lives like um, I think kind of everyone like moved away from the suburbs um, and then that area where we flooded the, sorry the area where we rehearsed and wrote music flooded and um, so it was, was rendered you know unusable so we were like okay well we need to make a new space to, to play and um, we went up to Preston to Preston and um we set up a studio in a kind of a shop front. It kind of took a little bit of time, and at this time, like our tour, our, we just done a tour, and it didn't tell many tickets, and it was all looking a bit desperate, and it really kind of felt like the end of British India. And I think everyone was in the mentality of like, oh, you know, well, it's like pretty rocking while it lasted. You know, three albums, that, that's more than most people get to make, and uh, lots of good memories. So we kind of, but despite that, you know, we thought, let's, let's, let's see if we can cook something up. So we, we, got this, we built this studio and moved into it, I think in the winter of 2011, which is depressing how long far away that was. <laughs> um, and it was just like the winter of discontent. Like I just, you know, I remember we were kind of all shacked up in there and just try, trying to ride. And, and I was kind of not really, for the first time, we just weren't gelling. Like it was like, I was, you know, I got the impression that maybe some members of the band and, and maybe even myself, we were, we, were try, we were relying too much on old, old tricks and we're trying to really just trying to kind of because we were getting a bit desperate, you know, I think like the, the tour had been really disheartening. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Anyway, this, this went on for a few months, and um, I remember the first time Will played the opening riff of I Can Make You Love Me, and um, it was something we call Max Hardcore Blues, which is kind of a disgusting name if you can research it. I would suggest you don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just I remember kind of we were all sitting there, and, and Will was playing this riff over and over and over for maybe two hours, and um, Nick was smoking a joint or something, and he told me later that when Nick Will was playing that record, that riff, he just wanted to cry, not because the riff. I mean, well, the riff is sad, but just he just it was just he just said it was just this, this really sad moment for him where he was kind of living in this this place in the Preston, uh, sorry Preston, and um, you know, I mean, he, 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 with with uh, neglected chances to go to university, or it certainly felt like we had, you know, we didn't have enough money to start a family or or, or you know buy a house or anything, obviously. Mm. And um, I think he like just broken up with his girlfriend, and it just, just it was just like oh shit those seven years or whatever it was were for nothing. And um, so we kind of made the instrumental track kind of based around that. And then when it came time to do the lyrics, I remembered back to a time, like, uh, I remember back to a time we'd be playing in, in Geraldton, which is in rural WA, maybe like three hours from Perth. And um, we played the show and there was like, I think recall there was like a big fight in the, in the car park involving like at least like, um, you know, maybe three guys and there's two girls, some love triangle blown up and like they were fighting and yelling. And I think there was like came to fisticuffs and just that kind of grim scene. Everyone was like really pissed and drunk and, and just, it was just really desperate. You know, we were kind of watching this from the car park. And as we drove out to a hotel, I, I noticed one of the guys walking home by himself. Like, I don't know, maybe the girl had gone with something, like, whatever. He just looked, he looked, he was the picture of misery. So when I, we had that instrumental for that track, I wanted to get into his headspace and say, and talk about like what his his internal monologue would have been, mm. knowing full well how uh, unreal how, how much of a skewed worldview he would have had at that point, and how unreasonable he would have been been being to himself. Like I think you know, hopefully most of us grow out of it. But when you're a teenager, maybe like walking home alone when you're dejected, you kind of think all these crazy things. You mm. know, like I'm gonna hurt myself to show you, and all this. Like I mean, I, I was you know, in hindsight, I was kind of get trying to get the kind of how monstrous you can become when you're when you're unlucky in love, you know, like, like that Doors song, um, "Women Seem Wicked When You're Not Wanted," yeah. which is a horrible, horrible. You know, I mean, in, in, in hindsight, it's all so problematic. But I mean, that's just the thing. I mean, it's um, we're we're, un, we're unreasonable when we're in that state. So um, yeah, I know. I'd also we've been listening to this this song um, by Roxy Music, which opens with the mm. the line, "Before I die, I write this letter," mm. which was you know direct influence for the first line of I Can Make You Love Me, which is, if you're reading this, and that means that I'm dead. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a cool confluence of of, of, um, of of influences and images, some from real life, some from art, and some from the way we were all feeling. So we put the song together in the studio with um, with our producer, Glenn, and, um, you know, he was pretty excited about it. We were kind of, oh, you know, let's see what happens. It's a bit different. I mean, obviously, Triple J lapped it up. I mean, it's, it's not the biggest hit that's ever you know happened on Triple J, but... I think that song really connected and it just, you know, it really gave our career a second life. You know, it really, like, I mean, it's still going now. And, and, and after that, we got a bit more money and we kind of got on a bit of a roll with recording. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like we really, we tapped into something that I think for better or worse, a lot of people could relate to. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny how something so born of such depressing and problematic circumstances can can you know push your career along or mm. to call it a career push your life along i guess 
Yeah, exactly. So that's, uh, that's like making love me. Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of artists kind of, um, they talk about how if they're not in some sort of melancholic or even like depressive state, like they just, they can't write songs very well. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and I guess like, yeah, a lot of the best songs, you know, come from such a dark headspace. Mm. And I guess at times too, like you kind of, there is a point where, after it's not saying that you guys experience like lows but after so much of like this time of being like frustrated and not like Mm. i guess being creatively maybe blocked all of a Mm. sudden like you kind of i guess it depends on how what i guess you believe in but there's always like highs and lows of life or i guess that's how i'd like to kind of look at it there's always positive and negatives and i guess after a while um you know you're kind of well, at least for hope, if you take a positive <laughs> outlook on life. After a while of, I guess, having all this like time being frustrated, eventually you get out of it. And then mm. maybe yeah. the, I guess like for you guys anyway, the, the product of that was so much bigger than probably you had planned, which was, and you were quite successful with it. So that's... But yeah, it came from a real place. Like I think yeah. that's where it stems from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of times in our career where we're through often liaising with producers and just through when we've, we've sat down and we've been like okay let's write a hit like this okay or we, get, we can't just get someone with a song we're like hang on this is a hit like this is you know this is really gonna this is a great pop song this is gonna be so then you kind of get in this headspace where like oh you're like oh well in that case I've got to write a kind of lyric that would suit a hit like what's something everyone can relate to and it just like I can think of specific songs it just falls flat it just doesn't work with us you know it's, 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 it feels like a put on and a con so um I think on this new record, I kind of we learned we learned for the first time like it's not about you know just having a sweet lick or a sweet chorus or this amazing melody. It's about emotion and it's about tapping into other people's emotion. I think you know I mean I can make you love me. I, I, one reviewer said it, there's something voyeuristic about it, and I think like getting to what you were talking about before about the highs and the lows of life. Maybe that's something cool about music. It's better, like the kind of especially a lot of the music I like um, is it, it is really dark. And you can kind of like listen to it and you can almost like you can flirt with that headspace without 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 engaging in it mm. you know maybe that's something that that, that art is good for kind of um ref- reflecting so- reflecting something that we, that we so we don't have to kind of fully embrace it in, in the real in the real world yeah yeah exactly and i guess that also like you know seeing that guy walking along the street that was so depressed and kind of thinking about what his internal dialogue would have been like like i think that ties into exactly what you're saying mm. that like you yeah. almost kind of project you know, yeah. you know, thoughts that other people might be feeling into your songs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I don't know, but, but it's it's still it's also not a character song, so it's I, I love the complexity of, mm. of 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 um of what we're talking about, like you know um what makes a song connect and what doesn't make a song connect, yeah. and and, mm. and how it's written. It's it's really it's it's just my absolute guilty pleasure. Not a guilty pleasure. It's just it's just my passion, really, to, <laughs> to, to think about. It. Not necessarily our songs. Certainly not our songs. Other people's songs. Mm. Yeah. There's just so much you could delve into. Yeah, Talk yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's, like... It's endlessly nourishing. That's mm. the thing about, like, writing a quote-unquote, like, hit, maybe. That's, I hate using that <laughs> word. But, like, you don't really ever know what is going to be successful and what isn't. I guess, like, there is maybe a certain extent where, as a songwriter, you know, you really um, feel strongly about a certain track and you feel like, you know, you kind of have a sort of inkling that, it will people will connect to and people will relate and it might be successful but in terms of like tracks that you know get heaps of um radio play and chart 
it's kind of difficult to to measure that. Yeah, because because so. there might be some songs that don't necessarily have some existential meaning, yeah. like songs that are like built primarily as you know an escape yeah. that still do really well. So I guess like the breadth of like what people you know connect with is yeah. it's endless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, no one knows it's an X factor, isn't it? It's yeah. just like it's it's something intangible. If people knew how to do it, everyone would do it. Exactly. <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the history, like, the, I mean, someone should do the history of pop music and what and like. I, I wonder how many how many hits in ten do uh, do stand up critically. Like, yeah. Mm. You know, I mean, there's certainly a few, but maybe they're exception that proves the rule. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we just got to find out like the the right like the perfect structure of pop songs and what makes a yeah. hit, so we can all make hits. Yeah, yeah. Look at my Make, make but... millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but our last segment of this show is our non-music segment so basically we talk about everything except music so we've been talking yeah we've been talking about music for a while um on (laughs) this show and this is kind of our little light-hearted segment i guess to just sort of talk about our other interests outside of music so i guess you already mentioned that um you're at uni you're studying you're almost finished your degree um is there anything else that you enjoy doing outside of making music or is it just very much assignments and music for you <laughs> it's very much assignments and music just at the moment but um i'm looking when on my break i'm looking forward to doing catching up on some reading yeah. i um got a i i am a member of a book club here in melbourne cool. and um we, we get together on the first wednesday of every month and um it's just really what I, I mean, aside from, from, from um, discussing books and, and kind of reading books that I wouldn't otherwise have read through the structure of, okay, this is this month's book, you get to meet, I get to meet people that I wouldn't normally meet. I think for the first of my life, like I'm, I've always been a really bitter little bitchy little punk <laughs> and I always like kind of little weaselly dude who, and who, distrustful of others. But for the first time in my life, I'm starting to realize, you know what, people are actually all right. Like some, <laughs> yeah. most, most people when you meet them are genuinely pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something cool about. I mean, I mean, some of the people at book club have become my friends, but also when there's new people, like just I don't know. Can, I mean, I'm quite interested in the dynamics that, that are at play when you meet someone new, mm. because um, you can't think about that without thinking about who you are yourself. Mm. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it's it can be confronting. You know, just to to, to um, when you discuss like uh, if you get along with people when you first meet them, because are they really meeting the real you, or are you meeting them for them? Yeah. Um, mm. Especially talking about books, I um. We've, uh, we've, every year we read um, the, the Booker Prize winner and the Pulitzer Prize winner from the year before. Mm-hmm. So I just finished this one by Colson Whitehead called The Underground Railroad, which yeah. was uh, pretty good. Cool. Uh, kind mm-hmm. of action-adventure thingy about slavery. Kind of a little, um, a little too action adventure Like you think the Pulitzer Prize winner would be like really deep and really yeah. like sophisticated <laughs> and um, all kind of psychology rather than action but this was just a really good action book mm, so uh, yeah. i don't know if your listeners are into that but uh yeah, yeah that's, well, that's, that's, i i actually used twin to study yeah, twin study music readings the only thing <laughs> well i actually used to work in a library <laughs> um, yeah, when i was in high school yeah um so what are some of the books that like your, your favorite books that you've read or ones that i guess maybe favorite is too strong of a word but like some books that have you've read um recently or multiple times yeah maybe. or just like in your life that have sort of stood out to you? Um, well, I mean, the, the first come to mind, I, I love Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Mm. I, I kind of um, really blew my hair back when I first read it a few years ago. Was, um, Argentinian writer called Borges, or Borges mm. who wrote um, a really famous book called The Library of Babel. He writes a lot of short stories that are really meta. 
Mm. And um, I can read his stuff over and over. It's just like endlessly rewarding. But also mm. in, in my life, I, I structure my life, like the people I meet between people who understand and enjoy Catcher in the Rye and people I don't want to know. <laughs> so um, when, I mean, it's, it's, it's cliche, but that's why it's a cliche is because it's, it's just so damn good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Catcher in the Rye, it's, it'd be, it'd be re- re- reductionist to say, like, when I first read that when I was 18 or whatever, it, it really blew my mind. But if I read it now, it would blow my mind. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it speaks so much about human frailty that mm. I just, I, I can't get enough of it. And I, I love nothing more than engaging in, in debates about whether it's good or, or whiny crap. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's get this started. Yes, stop stop the GA book club. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) I was actually thinking like, does my local library have a book club? Because I would love to like be part of a book club. Yeah, that'd be cool. We we made it a pub, so um. Oh, that that's even better. (laughs) So it's pretty drunken. But uh, once another thing that's maybe interesting about it is um, the one rule of book club is you're not allowed to talk about your work. So you'll be talking to someone, and they could be a historian or a garbage man, and you just like it's it's funny like uh, how much. We do kind of judge like you, you're at a dinner table, and the first question you ask is, "What do you do?" Yeah. So not being allowed to answer that, to ask that question, uh, really, it really alters that dynamic. It's yeah. kind of a bit of an equalizer, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't think I think I don't think any of the guys in the, in the book club know or the girls know what I do, and I don't know what they do. So um. Yeah. Yes, yeah, interesting thing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool because you can literally just bond based on personalities, yeah. which I think fundamentally what friendships should be based on anyway. Yeah. But like you said, like there's so much, you know, the, the go-to question is, you know, what do you do? Mm. And then people, you know, inherently judge, I guess, based on like a personal yeah. backgrounds or yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm curious, did you really enjoy English then at, at like in high school? Did you like, do you still really enjoy the books that you like analysed um, like... Well, I, I, I'm, I'm doing, still doing literature as an undergrad. Oh, okay, oh. right. There you go. <laughs> but, um, and and I, I do like it. Um, I, 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 it's not a very popular opinion to have, but I, I really liked high school. Um, I I mean, I liked the learning aspect of it. I wasn't very social. I certainly wasn't in the good in the sports. So, I mean, I think I like the, I like the study and the routine of, of high school. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not true that I enjoyed every day of this the whole six years, but you know thinking about the English in high school I still enjoyed what about you guys um I well yeah because see I have friends who like I speak to who you know you talk about like um Tessa the Dovilles that like we read in year 10 and they're like no we I don't want to talk about that I that, hate that that's book. actually me like, that was a rough book to read but um like I loved like writing um essay on Lord of the Flies like I really liked that I remember yeah. in when I was in year 12 we analyzed a movie called um Wag the Dog um, which was amazing. I actually really liked that. Wow. And I, I enjoyed reading Jane Austen and stuff. Like, But I guess I'm a reader, so I enjoyed that. Yeah. And I enjoyed like breaking it down. Um, I also really loved geography at school, which is also <laughs> maybe an unpopular opinion because there was only 10 people in my class. <laughs> But um, nice. yeah, I I liked. I didn't I didn't hate school. Like obviously, like you said, there's days that I did not enjoy. But generally, like. I had good friends and yeah, yeah I didn't hate schools. <laughs> um, in terms of like for me, like in English, I think like, cause I really loved reading as well, all like growing up and I loved like a lot of the material that we were going through. But for me, what kind of just broke it was the fact that like the whole like grade was so demoralized because of like the way like the teachers were kind of like, right. oh, you guys kind of suck and, ah, that's and they were really harsh. And so no one really wanted to do anything anymore. Yeah. So that kind of just ruined the experience for me, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you do you do meet people. I meet people, and um, 
I, I find it hard to accept, but I mean, they must be right. So, oh, look, I like to read, but I don't like to have things explained to me. I don't like to critically evaluate things. I don't really review, like people who are like, oh, I listen to music, but I don't read reviews. Mm. And that's probably fine. But, you know, I mean, for me, it's just that's just, just the surface level of a book or, or, a, or, yeah. or a song mm. or an album is, is kind of half the story for me. I really like to, you know, sing, like find out what's, what's going on on the surface because it's that it, it, that's the difference between a book and an art or say a record and art because it's, mm. it becomes something that, that reflects something about the world and can enrich your life yeah mm. i have true. a question for you two guys yeah this is a music podcast <laughs> and i want and maybe you can you can riff on this in the next your next segment yeah how do you listen to music Ooh. and i'll i'll i'll, I'll narrow down the question <laughs> yes. if you let's let's say you get up you get up in the morning you get dressed and you go to work and you put some music on your headphones on your phone yeah yeah how do you decide what you're going to listen to um okay well so i i guess i'll answer this two ways because i usually catch um the train to uni um but yeah so when I, but and in my car when i drive my car doesn't have an aux cord um <laughs> so i have to rely on cds um yeah so usually i also don't ever listen to the radio which is probably really bad um <laughs> but i i have spotify um usually oh. i make like month not, not monthly maybe like a playlist every three months of like what I'm listening to, mm. um, and I'll just continually add to that, um, depending well, on. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to determine is what, well, how do you know what ends up on that playlist? Oh, okay. So usually, like, if there's uh, like albums from artists that I like, I'll listen to the oh. albums first, and then mm. maybe if there's anything that sticks out to me, put it in the playlist. Um, I'll listen to like Discover Weekly, my Discover Weekly maybe playlist. Maybe it's happened to that more. I only did it um, once, but I really like the songs that are on there. Also too, like um, my mum and I have really similar music taste. So my mum will listen to like Triple J in her car and she'll be like, oh, yeah. I heard this artist, like you might like this song. <laughs> so I'll go listen to it. Um, I reckon you should we, should, we should get on some platform and ask if anyone else in Australia has that dynamic where their mum tells them the, the cool songs on Triple J because I think you might be the only person. Maya, <laughs> yeah. I know it's kind of, Agreed. I don't know if it's embarrassing or not. Um, but like, it's awesome, it's heartwarming, but it, I, I can't it's imagine just, it's widespread. <laughs> my my mum is the one who like gave me a Kings of Leon album. She like, she's one who bought the Kings of Leon, um, what's it called? Um, only by the night. She bought Only by the Night. She was like, "Hey, I think you'd like She's this." She's like your big sister. Um, it's she so also good. she also um, yeah. was listening to Triple J and um, listened heard a Nothing But Thieves song, um, and yeah. then she was like, "You might like Nothing But Thieves," so that's what I went. I went and listened <laughs> to them. Um, yeah, yeah, that's okay. a bit. I'm, I'm still not satisfied with, with your answers, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna narrow <laughs> the question down yet again. Okay, all right. Do you let Do you let your mood dictate what music you're listening to? Yes. Or do you let the music dictate your mood? So if you're if you're bummed out, will you put on Radiohead to accentuate the bummed outness, or will you put on um, I don't know something happy, a Balance Sebastian to cheer you up? Um, well, I guess maybe on Spotify I have different playlists for different things. So I have yep. like so a lo-fi playlist, in, yeah. I have an like '80s funk playlist, um, I have a hype playlist and a sad playlist, <laughs> and then my like current playlist. Yeah. So so sense. in that case, yeah, it reflects um, like the mood. Yeah. So depending on yeah. the mood I'm in, I guess I'll pick music depending on what I'm feeling um mm. yeah I guess also too um I also have like a Latin music playlist because like so my cool. family is um Spanish so I like to listen to Spanish music sometimes yeah but um, that's an interesting question you raised Declan because yeah. I often tend to be the opposite so I tend to if I'm feeling a certain way like say I'm feeling like really angry or mm. like frustrated I'll try and put on something that that will counteract that right 
Because I feel like, like often, like yeah, if you're listening to like a frustrated song when you're frustrated, it can ha- have that effect of just make like deepening the feeling. Yeah, like it's a bit yeah. of like a fifty-fifty. You don't know which way it's gonna go. Yeah, uh, I, I don't deny it. But that what your answer is in, inherent that you want to get rid of the feeling. Maybe it's good to feel angry and accentuate the anger. Yeah, yeah. See, I think I am more supportive of that argument. I guess like I make. Uh, that's, not, that's not an argument. That no, no, it's not an argument. Thing. Sorry, but that yeah. more supportive of that <laughs> yeah. um, perspective. Whatever that I is. guess. Whatever you're trying to do there, boy. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I think that uh, <laughs> there's a lot to think about there. Yeah, but definitely, I like to listen to what I'm feeling. I guess it's. I nice. wonder what's on your sad playlist. I, I wonder. It doesn't seem that there's much you can't learn about people from their sad playlist. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, uh, it'll be you. Well, my sad playlist kind of coincides with my like lo-fi playlist, I guess in a way, because I feel like lo-fi music. Give us some names. Um, for, uh, so like, a lot of Hayley Blake. (laughs) Yeah, Hayley, well, she's not that sad, but, um, like, uh, have you heard of Phoebe Bridges? Phoebe Bridges is like quite sad. No, I haven't. Um, another artist called Soccer Mummy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I like her stuff. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like, I mean, it depends on which track, but some of her songs are, like, very emo, but I, I'm a sucker for emo. <laughs> like, um, another artist called Sales. Um, Got some Slowly Slowly in there, too. Yeah, Slowly Slowly. Um, oh, I have an emo playlist, too. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Or the Fallout Boy. I'm just a playlist person, but my emo playlist is more of, like, a throwback <laughs> To like 2007, where like Panic at the Disco, Fallout Boy, like Old School Paramore, and like yeah. All Time Low. It's more of that kind of playlist because yeah. that's like what I listen to, um, I guess, as a teenager, yeah. <laughs> as a sad teenager. Do you, guys, do you guys find you listen to albums from start to finish less? Um, in my car, I listen to albums start yeah. to finish. Um, mm. On Spotify, no, unless it's an album, like an artist that I really like, if that makes sense. See, yeah, I'm different because literally I am such like an advocate for like listening to full albums. I guess like, that's like why I got like a vinyl player in the first place because like yeah. no, you're not being able to just skip to a song. It really encourages you to like listen to the full thing yeah. and really appreciate yeah. it. Like, and, and I always like, I always just like for me, like when I listen to an artist, often I'll like a lot of their discography and I'll just mm. listen to the full albums. So I guess I'm very like I drill down in that way in terms of how I listen to music. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I really love listening to albums from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. I guess if there's an artist where I like, I find that I like a lot of their tracks, I will go and listen to their album from start to finish. Yeah. Hmm. You guys do end end of the year best albums and best tracks or anything? Oh yeah, I try to. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> Um, I think I've done them for like a few publications, but maybe there's something worth looking at for the podcast. What about you? What's your, like, do you do that? What's your top album of 2017? Or like top three? Sorry, last, last year? Yeah. Uh, my favourite album was um, not, not it was an album called um, Hippopotamus by Sparks. Nice. Um, mm, yeah. Which was, uh, they're an 80s band and they reformed, but I mean, yeah, probably my second was, was Damn by Kendrick. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's like, and I, yeah, I, I, yeah, that, that probably, pretty typical but but none, nonetheless very true um rostam put out a really good album he's the, the guy who left um left vampire weekend and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. now he's a solo artist who like works with frank ocean he put out a record i can't remember what it's called but it's, it's a banger but um mm. yeah I, I think you know on the on the album i listen to i certainly listen to albums less than i ever have mm. um but i i kind of listen to them dutifully so i can know what kind of is going on like um mm. so if, if there's a record that everyone's talking to i will kind of try and listen to it start to finish but not, but it, there is a sense of um, duty there. It's not. It's not spontaneous. 
But as yeah. for like my favorite, you know, my all time favorite albums, like, you know, a Who album or a Beatles album, mm. it's, yeah, I'm at a point in my life where I so rarely put them on from start to finish and walk along listening to them. You know, I, sh- I should do it more often. Mm. You should, because it actually like, it really like encourages you to slow down mm. and really just sit there in like a particular space and just digest yeah like this whole body of work but yeah i guess i was the same like um i like i really like die straights they're one of my favorite bands oh. but um sultans of swing is probably one of my favorite songs of like all time but because like before i bought the record but before i like had bought the record i hadn't really listened to the actual album but then when i put it on and like you know sultans of swing is the first song on the site on side b so <laughs> i put that song on first but then like listening to the rest of the album made me realize like oh okay like this album is actually really good yeah and often you can <laughs> understand the context of a song you know by listening within to the, the album, album yeah so yeah that's i find that's truer and truer now because like um you'll you now a song will be released on on itunes so far ahead of time you'll have a, a long chance to listen to it and then when you listen to it in the context of the album it really, it's interesting how much it changes yeah um, mm. usually for the better in fact i think always for the better yeah yeah for sure yeah definitely what a pleasure it's been talking to you guys <laughs> it has yeah yeah you so too you got me thinking about my music consumption um it's an important question though because <laughs> it is it's it's constantly evolving yeah mm. but no i mm. agree yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, thank you so much yeah, for coming on. Like, I really appreciate it. Like, because we had that like twenty minute chat a few weeks ago, and then just the fact that you were just keen to come on for a full co-host. Yeah, so thank you so we much. Appreciate it. Well, I guess look to maybe officially um end off this podcast. Yeah. Um, just want to yeah. give a little summary for our listeners as to where they can find you and what's next for you guys, and yeah, just a little summary of what's going on. Um, I don't know. We're on tour at the moment. Um. We're going to Perth this week, and then the weekend after that, we're doing some rural plate things around Victoria. The tour goes on. I mean, you can check out the Facebook. It's very easy to do these days. <laughs> after that, it's um, batting down the hackers. We'll be in the studio, and um, God only knows what's going to come from that. Because I mean, some journalist asked me the other day, "Oh, what's what's the new record going to sound like?" I have no idea. It could <laughs> yeah. sound like James Blake, or it could sound like Dire Straits, or it could sound like Artvis Science, or it could sound like the Macarena, yeah. or it could sound like you know just chanting. Or crying, crying, but probably more likely. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Looking forward to it. You're listening to General Admission, where we bring you your front row ticket to the stories behind the sound.